Hey there, it is Darren from the podcast that you're about to listen to, unless you've accidentally stumbled across this in a feed, in which case this will make absolutely no sense to you, and I apologize in advance. Just a heads up for listeners, um, this episode we have, well, we always have fantastic guests, but we have two fantastic guests for this episode, uh, the wonderful Deirdre Malumbi and the fantastic Brian Lloyd. However, due to a scheduling snafu that was entirely my own fault, uh, we only have Brian for an hour, and we only realize that at the end of the hour when he has to depart. So just a heads up when you're listening to this that Brian will disappear about halfway through. I've asked him if he wants to contribute some stuff in post, uh, but we'll, we'll figure it out. Apologies again, again for this confusion, entirely my fault, but... Hope you enjoyed the episode. Take care, guys. Bye. Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Very well, thanks, Darren. How are you doing this uh, fine afternoon? I'm I'm good, I'm good. Now, listeners may have already picked up from the title of this episode, this is not our platoon episode, uh, because unfortunately, the great actor Edward Asner passed away a little over a week ago, and we thought we'd mark the occasion, so we're going to kind of slot this in, and next week we'll be talking about, about Platoon, and then the week after we'll be moving our Batman Day episode to Eastern Orthodox Batman Day to talk about Catwoman. But for the moment, we're going to talk about uh, Ed Asner in Disney Pixar's Up. It's, it's strange that it was that that created the schism. Yeah, I mean... Most people think that, you know, Batman Day is a September holiday. It really should be and always has been. But, I mean, there are those who believe that criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot, so it has to be October. Um, it, was it was originally very... October. Yeah. I, I know, but then it got shifted around. I mean, the Hallmark people got involved. But, look, that, that's a discussion for another time. Uh, but we have two fantastic guests joining us for this wonderful discussion. Basically, two reviewers from Entertainment.e, the wonderful Irish uh, website, returning to the podcast for the first time since our epic and perhaps ill-fated uh, David Lynch, 18-hour-long episode, the wonderful Brian Lloyd. How are you, Brian? I remember that show so well because I think the two yous were basically running on fumes at that stage. And, like, there was, like, I remember you kept passing this cake around that was, like, literally jacked with <laughs> sugar. And it was me and Jen Gannon. And I took one bite of it. And it was like, holy, I'm going to get diabetes. Someone's going to need to go to amputate my foot by the end of this. And I put it down, and I didn't want to be rude, whereas... Jane Gannon took one bite of it, and she won't mind me saying this. She took one bite of it, and she was like, Jesus, and put it away. So that was the last time I was on this show. And I had fun then, and I'll hopefully have fun now. And that you, was only six hours into the 18, to be yeah. fair. You, um, did, you did taste it. I there did. Were, there were, there were, I, I, I must say I loved the, the, the pies, but Darren, Darren didn't taste any. Sorry, I'm doxing you, Darren. Um, I don't think that's what doxing is, but I, 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 I yeah, I don't think that's, no. Do I, I give out your address? Yes, don't, don't, oh, okay. don't dox me. <laughs> um, you're not doing doxing properly, but you shouldn't be doing doxing properly, so it all balances out. The more um, you know. Yeah, knowing is half the battle, Andrew. And uh, a returning guest from the podcast as well, uh, Deirdre Malumbi. Dee Malumbi, how are you, Dee? I'm very well. How are you guys? Great. We're, We're doing, doing very well. How are you, oh. Darren? How, how am I? I'm getting by. I'm getting sorry, by. Sorry, sorry. This is a recurring thing. I want him to actually tell us how he is. But it's okay because I'm very good at deflecting. Open the door to the deep despair within you. 
It is a good thing though to keep on checking in on one another. Like we're still we're still kind of in a pandemic here, so I think it's always good to be like, and how are you? You know, it's very cordial and everything. Let's wrap, kids. Now look, I <laughs> I want to talk. I want to talk about up. Um, I don't want any rap music or um, punk dancing. I just want to talk about up. That's all I really want to do here. But no, um, we're talking about this because of the well. First of all, the the passing of Ed Asner very recently at the age of ninety one. One of the cinematic greats, um, an actor who is one of those actors who I kind of had been around forever and I assumed always would be. Um, he even popped up in things like, I would be watching movies from the past year, couple of years, and he would show up. So he was in like Mothers of Monsters, which is a movie that I think had a budget of about two grand. Um, he would pop up in, in things like um, The Karate Kid, uh, Cobra Kai TV show, where he had a recurring role in the first season as the father of the lead character. And I mean, even now... As we're recording this, um, the TV show Doug Days, uh, which is a spin-off of this movie that we're talking about here, just released on Disney Plus, which is basically a wholesome sitcom in which uh, Carl, the lead character of this film, moves in with Doug and they have adventures that last about 10 minutes and teach important life lessons. So Ed Asner, always been around. But uh, Brian, do you remember, do you have any strong memories or strong kind of thoughts on, on Ed Asner as an actor? When did you first see him? What do you think of his work? What's his best work for you? I think the first time I saw him was probably in JFK, I think, um, where he played, he was starred opposite um, Jack Lemmon. And, you know, like the thing about Ed Asner is, and I don't think this is kind of giving anything away and up, but like Ed Asner is one of these people that he is able to play grumpiness to a level of art. You know, it is a thing of, he just embodies it entirely and it's it, it and it's in the most like kind of minute ways that he gets it out like because he i mean he he really does play it like an instrument you know that sort of way he can be quite small and kind of just off the off the cuff remarks or it can be something like an up where he's just like roaring at the top of his voice about you know a dog and all this kind of stuff but in the middle of that i think is a genuine heart like I mean I don't know if anyone knows this or not but like he was really involved in union politics like in um in SAG after and stuff like that and like he's the reason why a lot of actors now have healthcare plans um and just even from that perspective I think you know a, 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 an actor like that who was known for playing authority figures was known for playing these very gruff unfeeling uncaring uh, characters but that he himself was the exact opposite that he you know, was a tireless advocate for workers' rights and stuff like that, for people that he would never have any kind of contact with, would never have any impact with, but that he had that uh, uh, solidarity with, I think, is really, really incredible. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, you know, like, I mean, I know people kind of know him from, like, Mary Tyler Moore show and um, from Up, um, but, like, the thing that I always know him from and the thing that I loved him from, and he was so funny in it, uh, was Freakazoid. Uh, which was this, uh, if anyone doesn't know it, it was this animated show that was on in the 90s uh, during that great period when Steven Spielberg was doing Warner Brothers Animation. He was doing like Animaniacs and he was doing Pinky and the Brain and Freakazoid. Freakazoid, if anyone's never seen it, it's basically, if you could imagine the complete anarchic energy of Monty Python's Flying Circus, but in an animated format, that's basically what Freakazoid is. And they used to have these incredible, I mean, these incredible non-secure jokes where... Ed Asner's character, uh, a guy, a cop called Cosgrove, who was Cosgrove, Cosgrove yeah, it, yeah, who was just this like garden variety, completely bog standard cop. He would just turn to the screen 
and just go off on these whole things. Like, he'd do this one thing about the buddy system, where it's like, buddy up for safety, and he'd just give this, like, straight deadpan PSA about the buddy system, about, like, grab your nearest buddy and you'll always be safe. Um, and, and yeah, and, like, he could do it, like... You know, like the thing about like, you know, Leslie Nielsen or Peter Graves in Airplane was, was that they were character actors. So when they were doing this, they were effectively parodying themselves. And Ed Asner was doing that in Freakazoid because he'd played cops before and he'd play, you know, the commissioner and all this kind of stuff. But in this, he was doing it, but completely taking the mick out of himself and doing it so well and clearly loving it. Like, so, yeah, that's what I remember him for. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's worth noting. Like you mentioned, there his politics and stuff yeah. like that. I think his support of like he he alleged that his support for um, the communist rebels in El Salvador, for example, is what got Lou Grant cancelled. Yeah. The, the sitcom that he was headlining, spinning off the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah. Um. So he very much was an actor who kind of put his his mouth um where his heart was. Definitely. Which is, is remarkable as well. Definitely. Um. And so, D D, what about yourself in terms of like your your memories or your impressions about Asner as an actor? To be honest, probably not as nuanced. And it was so funny hearing Brian talk about it there because I was like, I think he recognizes a kindred spirit. There. <laughs> I do. I do. It's true. Um, it's true. <laughs> Grumpy bastards but unite. I, like It's true. It's true, you know. Um, but but, but yeah, deep no, down. My... Deep down. Critical. Critical. <laughs> my main reference points for Ed probably would be Carl Fredrickson in Up because um, I just think he's makes that character absolutely iconic and i did actually watch doug days the little short series which only dropped on disney plus um this week i think um at the time of recording so um yeah it was very sweet and lovely to hear him return to that role and then santa in elf it's a small it's a small enough role obviously in elf and elf just um i was watching like the movies that made us episode on elf uh way back when but it's like all those things just came together and one of the parts of Elf was just that perfect cast and Ed was such a huge part of that as Santa because how do you do Santa again it's a character that's been done so many times and yet he still kind of infused this like warmth and realism with that character and like he bounced off Will Ferrell great there were some zingers in there um some of his lines so yeah those were probably the two roles that i'll always fondly remember him for we should note by the way that asner it's been argued and i i don't think this is true but i i quite like the idea that it might be the idea that okay i was gonna say asner has played santa more times than any other person on screen or at least any named major actor on screen um so like he popped up in 2017 in a story box christmas playing santa he popped up in santa stole our dog a merry dog gone christmas he appeared in saving christmas but not playing santa he appeared in buddy's musical christmas and elf spin-off he appeared on the regular show as santa he appeared on ellen as santa several years before doing elf as well so yeah no i, I think it's fair to say that asner's like career association as santa it's not a bad role to have your signature role to be fair i would have thought tim allen like the santa claus like because there was like <laughs> there was three of them wasn't there and he was playing santa there was a dude or was there a fourth there was a dude he, but there's probably a reason why we want to write tim allen out of the santa true. history books was, to be fair it was in his contract that he had to do three it was the, the, <laughs> the santa claus um, hi oh i appreciate that <laughs> but uh, and also worth noting as well actually before before we kind of move on as well in terms of uh, sorry andrew what about yourself and, and ned asner actually? um i'm i'm not going to surprise you when i say um the name was familiar and i didn't know what i i i i, I 
like as the dead weight in 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 the podcast, I wa- I wasn't really familiar with um with his work. I I mean I was, but I didn't know it was him, and 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 it was a name that was familiar maybe just from up, um and I but I, like I having said I I'm I I I was looking forward to um uh Doug Doug Day afternoon, um the the upcoming um. Disney the one where Carl takes a trip to the bank and things go horribly, horribly wrong. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could really see the kid in, with a stick. I could really see the kid in the John Cazale role, like you know that kind of. <laughs> yeah. one. Really, really, really see the kid doing John Cazale justice with that. Like, yeah, I could see that. Oh, you would. But uh, and and also worth noting as well, just before, <laughs> before we were talking about um, the little postman. Yeah. None of your mailman friends can help you now. Sorry, well, we, we shouldn't jump ahead too much, but there's so much to love about this movie. Um, also worth noting as well that earlier this year, we also lost Christopher Plummer. Now, myself and Andrew did a special episode to mark kind of Christopher Plummer's passing. We talked about Star Trek VI, obviously his most important, memorable, <laughs> iconic role. Um, General Kang. But no, uh, General Kang. That, yeah. that was the role. That was, who, what, what Klingon wouldn't quote Shakespeare? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. come on, like. But um, what about, so what about what, just to, to get kind of Brian and Dee on, on kind of Plummer as well, because he's, no, like this is as well, this is a another kind of Plummer film. He has the role, he plays kind of the, the antagonist perhaps in the second half of the movie. Any thoughts on Plummer as well? Yeah, I think that this was kind of, wasn't this kind of part of that period where his career was going through that resurgence because you had Knives Out and you had the man who invented Christmas. And I thought that he was fantastic in the latter, actually, as Ebenezer Scrooge. Like, again, a role you've seen done so many times and yet he still brought this freshness to it. Um, I was very sad when I heard that news, especially because The Sound of Music is, it's my mom's favourite movie, actually. So it holds like a big special place in our family's hearts. We watched it a lot when we were young and I only watched it... um, I I I I was about to call my fiance my husband. I made <laughs> I made my husband watch it for the first time in the last uh year and he really enjoyed it and he could see why it was so iconic and everything. And I know that, you know, originally Christopher Plummer was very much distancing himself from that role. He just found it basically cringeworthy. But I think that in the years kind of in more recent years, he was kind of talking about it with a little more kind of warmth and appreciation for how much it did mean to other people and he is he is very handsome and romantic in that role as the captain (laughs) (laughs) and he does tear up a swastika which is which is good as well it's like that's always good (laughs) that's a hell of an image to have at the top of your obituary to be fair um brian what about yourself and christopher Plummer? i think you know like yeah i mean definitely sound of music i mean 100 percent. and i didn't realize this it's funny you say this to you because i think we were talking i remember when when he died i think we were in the office when that happened and I remember there was a discussion about, oh my God, he was so handsome and that. And I was like, was he really? And then it turns out like a lot of women found him to be very, very attractive and sounding music. He was a thirst trap. He was. And my wife was the same as well. She was like, oh yeah, he was so handsome and that, like the big jaw and all that kind of stuff. Like, oh, he looks all... Um, I think of him uh, in two films. Um, one is Star Crash, just because... Star Crash is such a terrible, terrible... If you don't know Star Crash, it's this awful uh, Star Wars rip-off um, with David Hasselhoff and Caroline Monroe and uh, Christopher Plummer plays the Emperor, I think, in it. And he's just... The poor man, like, I, I feel so sorry for him because like, you can just tell he's, like... He's half drunk the entire time and he's just getting through each scene. And he it's just... it's a, it's, it's a car, It is a Star Crash car crash. Um, nice. 
But yeah, I think of him in that. And then the other one I would think of him in is uh, another film from that kind of era. And it's a film that I love. And it's so sappy. More sappy, I think, than Sound of Music is um, uh, Somewhere in Time um, with Jane Seymour and Christopher Reeve. And he plays the control and manager over Jane Seymour's character. But again, it's a thing of... And I think this is something Christopher Plummer did really, really well. Is that you initially he initially presents himself as this sort of um, kind of I don't want to say evil, but like definitely an antagonistic character. And then as you sort of learn more about him, you realize that there's a bit more nuance. Like I know Inside Man, it's kind of it's the flip side, is in the like, opposite. Yeah. yeah, as in like he initially comes into it, and you think he's this sort of a little bit out of touch, kindly doddering old, yeah, man. doddering yeah. weird old man. But then it turns out actually no, he actually was pretty <laughs> evil. He was completely evil um but yeah i think he's yeah like even you know all the money in the world like the fact that he dropped into the middle of that and i think oh, yeah. yeah in a week like like in a like a week of filming yeah. that's that's all it took like christopher plummer will fix your movie in a week if you've got a problem call a plumber and he, yeah, and brilliant. He, fantastic that by the way i need to stop and note that <laughs> call a plumber that's brilliant but like yeah, like he dropped into the middle of that, and you what I I watched the, that film again recently, like, and he's great in it, like, and he doesn't really need a huge amount of work to command a scene, like. Now, granted, fair enough, he's acting against Mark Wahlberg, who couldn't act himself out of a brown paper bag, but you know, a wee drop the man literally parachuted him into the middle of a film, and boom, you're I'm- you're good to go, <laughs> like. To put it in perspective, for most of those scenes, he probably wasn't acting opposite, like, Wahlberg. He was probably acting opposite, like, a green screen or an empty frame. And still gave a a great performance, like, you know, that kind of way. He saved what would have been, I think, not a... I mean, I think, you know, like, whether Kevin Spacey had been in that film or not, I don't think that film would have been any... I don't think it would have been improved. A masterpiece. Yeah, no, God, no. It was a cheap, chintzy dynasty film like it was grand like well kevin spacey was acting um against mark Wahlberg, so he's finding yeah. it more difficult Definitely. um Definitely. yeah so can i get an empty frame or a green screen <laughs> um, just give sorry. me just, a cardboard box i'll act against that that's <laughs> fine <laughs> let me shout into into a void and just get that out. all right then so let's talk then about the movie that we're talking about today which is up which i think is one of asner's kind of signature roles in that like when his obituary came out it's ironic that like several of the obituaries like actually had screenshots of carl the animated character that asner played um and actually like again it's worth noting that like from the beginning um asner was kind of chosen when the idea was developed by pete doctor it was originally developed i think in 2004 as a script called helium uh but as they developed the character it was always going to be an older man as they developed the character as they animated the character they discovered that the character that they had drawn looked a lot like ed asner <laughs> so they invited ed asner in to do readings uh and i think he, he actually ended up like reading like because the way the Pixar works, they do they because animating obviously takes a lot of time and you want to figure out the movie before you commit to the process of actually animating and rendering it because that takes a tremendous amount of work. What Pixar would do is they would record voiceover recordings, whether involving actors or involving friends and family, uh, doing sketches, uh, including footage from other things, test reels and stuff like that. Um, and so Asner was involved from that stage. And actually, there's a really sweet story where... Asner watched it, watched the early cut of Up, or the, like the preliminary cut of Up, um, and noted that the young character of Ellie, 
um, who was voiced by Pete Docter's daughter, ran away with the movie. And that was apparently one of Pete Docter's sweetest memories of working on Up, is Ed Asner saying, your your daughter stole the movie. But um, what's our kind of preliminary take on Up? So, um, Dee, like, do you remember when you first saw Up? And, and what was your immediate reaction to it? Um, <laughs> I definitely saw it in the cinemas. Like, I don't remember how many of my family members went to it but we would have a pretty big tradition of going to see the new Disney Pixar movies we're big animation fans in my house big Disney fans big Pixar fans so definitely the first time I saw it was on the big screen and yeah that we we will obviously get into it in the spoiler zone but that montage my gosh that like tears you apart every time still but yeah definitely I'm not sure if I like cried cried because I I kind of I don't know. I don't really cry. It depends on the movie. But like I had a big, big lump in my throat like, like that. Um, so th- that would be kind of my biggest memory. And just, yeah, leaving it and kind of um, really enjoying it. And I also remember at the time when it was kind of competing at the Oscars subsequently, people were talking a lot about that opening montage and saying like, kind of only talking about that and saying like that's the best picture winner and again we'll get into this but I would think that especially having watched it many times subsequently that that's a bit unfair and that there is more to the movie than just that as uh, but that part of it obviously is extraordinary so we we should acknowledge by the way just like some of the massive amount of plaudit that like up has received it was the 10th pixar film it was only the second animated film um to win sorry to be nominated for best picture behind beauty and the beast um this was in large part due to the expansion of the category which was itself in large part due to the uh, perceived snubbing of both the dark knight and wally the previous year so in the previous year there were five nominees and neither the dark knight nor wally got nominated so the academy expanded to 10 and Up was one of those first 10. Uh, it won two Oscars, including one for soundtrack, and obviously took home the best animated feature as well. Um, so a massive, massive success. But Brian, what about yourself? Do you remember the first time that you saw Up and yeah. what your kind of initial reaction to it was? Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, pretty much. I don't know if I saw it in the cinema or not. I can't really remember. But like, I think, yeah, I mean, as Dee said there, I mean, the first 10 minutes of it, that's that that that's the thing that sticks in your mind. And in fact... I uh, I was trying to watch it last night and I I turned to my wife and said, I'm doing this podcast in the morning, I wanna watch this, I wanna watch up and she was like, Oh no, 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 I can't I can't I can't watch that. I can't watch that. I don't wanna to go to bed crying. I, I, I don't I don't want I don't wanna watch it. And I was like, We'll skip over that bit, we'll skip over the bit. She was like, No, it's too upsetting, I can't do it. Uh, oh, no, uh, uh, uh. And that's fine. And I being the being the, the, the wife guy that I am, I was like, yep, yeah, Grant, no problem. We'll just watch something else. And I think we ended up watching a documentary about 9-11. Much more cheery. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. We were watching a thing. It was that thing, Turning Point, about uh, that's on Netflix. We ended up watching that instead. Way more cheery. But um, no, yeah, I mean, I, I it's... I, D is absolutely right. I mean, I it, it, there's so much more to this film than the first 10 minutes, 100%. Um, and I think I what I love about it is the adventure of it. And I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to get spoilery now, but like no, no, yeah. the adventure aspect of it. I love that it's an adventure. I mean, it's not just, you know, defined by the kind of what some would consider exploitative, but it, certainly the emotional toll of the film 
is is there, but it's an adventure. Like they're going off to wherever it is, South America or whatever. Flying in a house. Flying yeah, in South a America, house. Venezuela. Yeah, yeah, and then they you know, they meet the they have the, the, the threat of the, the dogs and the talking dog and you know, like I mean it's just there's there's so much more to it than just the opening ten minutes, definitely. Um and it's actually funny it's funny you say that now. Um it's interesting I've noted that uh, the music is quite is used quite a bit in weddings actually yeah. believe it or believe it not yeah and um i was at a wedding recently and i was surprised that that particular song wasn't used deirdre oh well okay since deirdre has referenced her fiance now husband yeah. and since brian has acknowledged it we all have to say congratulations yeah. Deirdre. i didn't know whether you wanted to mention on the podcast but congratulations Steve. um yeah. Brian, um, but, got, uh, Brian got married actually during the pandemic too. I did, just yeah. In the last few months. Oh wow! Congrats. Oh, yeah. Congratulations, Brian. Then I did. I got married the first day of lockdown, uh, October twenty second. So that was fun. Um, oh my but, goodness! But no, but yeah, but to go back to it though, but I mean, like, yeah, married life. That song is used quite a lot in weddings, actually, and I, I, I see why. But then again, like, it, it's a lovely piece of music. <laughs> the association. Yeah, it's a lovely yeah. piece of music. But then the association is, is oh yeah, your wife. That's is... what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay, so that's why you didn't use it. Great. Okay, well that yeah. makes sense. So it, it's it's the old sting. I'll be watching you wedding dance song, where it's like I don't want to be thinking about the meaning of this. I know yeah. that like people can use it, but I don't want to think about what this means. Brian raised an interesting point there, actually, which was something I had kind of jotted down because. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we did our Indiana summer, our season looking at the four Indiana Jones films. And Dee was on for Last Crusade there. And you made an argument that I thought was very interesting, which is the idea that the old fashioned adventure film is largely gone, barring the occasional resurrection for something like Jungle Cruise, for example. But like the genre is not what it was. The old going adventuring in the wilderness does up count. Does up scratch that itch? Is is up you know, comparable to something like The Mummy or something like Indiana Jones for you, Dean? I think it would. Yeah, because it's so funny because I was, while I was watching it a couple of nights ago, I was thinking about just that. I was like, wow, there's a real proper sense of adventure to this. And that's established really from the very first scene when he's looking at, you know, uh, Charles Muntz up on the big screen and then he goes on his own big adventure. So I would, I would put it in that category. Yeah, I think that what often happens with animation is like when it comes to kind of the genre box ticking it just gets ticked as like animation family movie but no I would consider it an adventure film as well yeah definitely and Andrew do you remember the first time that you saw Up? A bit like Brian I'm, 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 I'm not sure if it was in the cinema or not it might have been on kind of you know on telly but um, I was devastated <laughs> in the first 10 minutes watching it again I was thinking well, it's not going to do that to me again <laughs> Now I know it's coming and fine. And that, that, that makes me kind of like comfortable talking about it for anybody who hasn't kind of seen it. That, 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 that's, um, yeah, it's... Um, Even knowing it's coming, it, it still lands that blow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I, was, I, was, I was watching it with my fiancé and, and, and go, going back to... Congratulations, what, Andrew. Thank you. <laughs> go, going back to what you said earlier, Dee, um, she, she, um, I, was, I was getting a coffee and she was picking it up in a different bit and, and she was like, oh, will I take it for you here? And she said, oh, no, my, my, my husband got us. And I was like, husband? <laughs> when did that happen? But um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the, the confusion. She's already trying to get used to it, um, which is good, I guess. No, that's a good tactic because I'm still getting used to it. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for myself, in terms of seeing up, I saw it, I think, when it was originally released. Um, 
small quirky thing about its original release i don't know if brian and d kind of remember this i'm not gonna ask andrew to remember this because i i don't think andrew cared at this point but this was around the time the 3d was kind of getting a big oh push. yeah um and this was released i think in 3d in fact i think this was the first it was the first animated movie to open can fun fact for everybody in the audience and it was the first 3d movie to open can now can would have to wait two years to show a 3d movie in competition which i believe was takeshi mike's um seppuku but um yes this was this was a big deal in terms of 3d and i remember seeing it twice in the cinema seeing it once in standard 2d um and and loving it and like the way it pops and then seeing it in 3d and having like this would have been, I think, shortly before Avatar. And like this was the moment where I was like, yeah, 3D's not I I don't think 3D's gonna work because it's a movie that is so bright and so colorful and so strong in terms of like its vivid imagery that when I saw it in 3D, it was ironically less immersive mm. than it had been in 2D because the colors were kind of so essential to it. But yeah, no, I, I saw it. And to answer Andrew's question to preempt this, yes, I cried. I think I've mentioned this in the podcast before. I'm a notoriously uh bad movie crier in that i don't generally cry at movies uh in fact my optician told me my eyes are too dry it's a medical condition i should really get this looked at um so no up does make me cry like a baby and it makes me cry twice once at the opening montage and then once later on which i'm sure we'll kind of get to anyway all right then so i think that's in terms of broad introduction to up that that's kind of enough to get us going there so i guess then three questions to get us started so d do you think up is one of the best 100 movies ever made 100 or 250? Sorry, 250. Sorry, I'm coming off, coming off a run podcast, of doing... Bot- breaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, coming off... We're coming off a run of recording bottom 100 episodes. So it's just kind of Fair. like the numbers now stuck in my head. Is it one of the best 250 movies ever made? Yes. Yes, I think it is. <laughs> Would it be in the top 100 then? Ooh, it's hard. Because again, and again, we've talked about this before in terms of number of representatives. And in fairness, Disney Pixar is well represented. And I think that the yes. right Disney Pixar ones, aside from Soul, are in there... <laughs> <laughs> I'm take that the incredible i'm not a, um, i'm not a big fan of soul i'm sorry um but if if you want my opinion listen to that podcast. so would you go so far as say it's the soul <laughs> exception oh nice <laughs> i'm glad that it is up there hey. <laughs> uh, and brian what about yourself do you think this is one of the best 250 movies ever made yes yes i do i don't know that yeah it's, it's, as D was saying, I don't know if I'd put it in the top 100 because I do think, yeah, Pixar is over, oversubscribed. But yeah, no, def- top 250, yeah, without a doubt, yeah. Like, we, we should note, by the way, like, of the Pixar movies that are in the 250, like, Soul has dropped out since, but, oh. like, all four of Pete Doctor's uh, Pixar movies are in there. So Monsters, Inc. is in there, um, Up is in there, Inside Out is in there, and Soul was briefly in there as well, wow. actually, which is so... it. So he has like a 100% track record of making the list. Like he's he's beaten Christopher Nolan. He's beaten Steven Spielberg. He's beaten Martin Scorsese. It's like, yep, hit hit after hit for Mr. Doctor on this list, which is interesting. Yeah. But Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think that Up belongs the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Yeah, I, I think it might do. Like it, it, it's, um, it, it kind of does the things that certainly I, but perhaps an audience wants movie like this to do in, in in that it makes you laugh um it makes you cry it's exciting it's beautiful um like visually yeah um soundtrack is great like it it it, it certainly has a good argument it's probably not one of my favorite uh pixar uh, sorry 
it probably wouldn't be at the top of like my my favorite Ooh, Pixar movies, but it'll be fairly close. Like okay, uh, yeah. What is at the top? I feel like we probably talked about this before. What is at the top for you in terms of Pixar? Probably Inside Out. Um, okay. I think Snap. I, I think that's the one that I, I'm, I'm, I, I may or may not have said that when when we recorded it. I may have decided later. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, I remember we had an experience very similar to when we talked about La La Land, but in reverse. Where, like, when we talked about La La Land, you were like, Darren, you like La La Land, but not enough. I was like, Andrew, you like Inside Out, but not enough. Don't say um, that I like La La Land around movie critics. I like La La Land. Okay, I like La La Land. O'Brien loved La La Land. I don't give a squirrel. Okay, sorry, I'm sorry for comparison. I like La La Land. I'm not going to feel bad about that all right i loved la la land all right a big sap listeners cannot see listeners cannot see andrew's smile i have yeah. like we've been recording the podcast for five years i have never seen andrew smile that much in that <laughs> I got you, Andrew. so thank you thank you brian you. and thank you d we did a um, we did a podcast once where yes, <laughs> like it did not end well it was like a dog pile on la la land <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> We, it was we, really we worse because the first critic out. who went was like, yeah, that's that's why we phased out what is your least favorite movie on the 250 <laughs> because of the reaction La La Land got. Um, that and it was really bad because the, the critic who started off with his favorite movie was my favorite movie is La La Land. And then then the dog pile began. It was not a not a good evening for most people involved um, in terms of for myself. Uh, yeah, I think I think you can probably make an argument for it. I think there should be some Pixar stuff there. I think Pixar is probably overrepresented on the list, but I think. You can make an argument for Up on a number of levels. Uh, first of all, I think when you look at animation on the 250, a lot of the animation tends to be quite adult-focused. Um, and I don't mean in kind of like a red light sort of way, but it, it's animation that largely appeals arguably more to adults than to children. So films like, for example, Grave of the Fireflies and stuff like that. A lot of the Hayao Miyazaki movies uh, you know, generally resonate with adults as much as children. Like Princess Mononoke and Howl's Moving Castle are arguably like as much for older people as they are for kids. And, you know, there are exceptions like My Neighbor Totoro, which is just a joy from beginning to end. But I think Up is like one of the big... And it's, it's interesting that like D mentions... And we'll, we'll talk about this when we get into the war zone. D was like, you know, the, the one of the critical knocks against Up was the argument that the opening nine minutes are the best part of the movie and then the, the rest of the movie just exists. And I think if I were making an argument for Up belonging on this list, it would arguably be the combination of those opening ten minutes and everything that follows. Because I, I don't think Up ever forgets that it's a movie that is as much for kids as for adults. Mm-hmm. Um I think it is an adventure movie. I think it's a funny movie. I think it's a bright, colorful movie. I think it's a movie that you bring your kids to and they fall in love and you as an adult are still moved by it. And I think it arguably does that better than any other Pixar. I think that you can see it in Toy Story. I think you can see it in Finding Nemo where like you have, oh, there's cool fish stuff for the kids. And for the adults, it's like, oh, by the way, your kids are going to leave you one day and you're going to have to confront that reality and you're in an essential death. But I think that Up probably does that better. Um, I think it's maybe less artful. Or then say Inside Out, or um, if you want to pick another example, Wally from the previous year. But I think that's probably an argument in its favor in this case. So that would be my my hot take. All right then, and uh, D, is it on your own personal two fifty, your own two hundred fifty favorite movies? You know, it's funny if if you'd asked me before I rewatched it a couple of nights ago, I might have said no. But having rewatched it, oh, I just remembered how good it is. It's so good. It's so lovely. And again, I'll wait till we get into the spoiler zone. To And we've already kind of touched on some of the reasons why. But yeah, it's so damn good. Yeah, it would be in there. 
I'm how is Rankin all the Pixar would be uh, yeah. <laughs> most of them which is grand that, that's that's the fun part of this question it's the part where you don't feel guilty for saying yes all the Christopher Nolan or David Fincher movies are in there <laughs> but like how would it rank for you in terms of Pixar is this your like is this top tier Pixar see it's so hard because Pixar is so good it would be in my top five like my personal favorite is and this is just because of like purely based on nostalgia just like growing up with it but like Finding Nemo I had on um, VHS, would you believe? And I think I must have like worn that video cassette out. I watched it so many times when I was young and I still like would look back on it. And I think that in terms of animation, it's still really beautiful and really well crafted in terms of how it like captured that underworld or world. And I've always kind of loved like the sea, like I used to love live in Dunleary and when I was by the sea, oh, it's just my perfect happy place. But um, so that would be just my personal favorite one. And I think that is the thing about Pixar movies is that you're not going to get a perfect answer with which one is the best one. I think that people will always kind of have a personal favorite because it'll be one that touched them the most personally. And that's kind of a testament to what the studio does to people kind of on a personal level we should note by the way actually um we covered finding nemo quite early in the podcast and i actually had somebody reach out to me and say that they threw their phone across the room because they felt like myself and andrew did not pay proper respect to finding <laughs> nemo i won't tell you which co which guest that was who said that but somebody did andrew's running through a list in his head trying to figure out who it possibly could have been but brian what I about yourself I know who it was. <laughs> And yet he won't share that information. (laughs) Too much of a professional. Um, Brian, was it you? Um, But no, Brian, would it be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favourite movie? I don't think it would. I don't think it would. Um, And it's it's not a reflection on, on... It's not a reflection at all on the film. Far from it. I just don't think I'd put it on it because... As much as I enjoy animation, I, I I'm not as enamored by it that as do you is, and it's 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 just, I mean, there probably would be maybe one Pixar film on it, and it would probably be um, uh, Inside Out, and it's just because I think Inside Out had everything that Up had, but done more artfully and done better, as you were saying, like, um. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 I, 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 I do, I do really enjoy it. I mean, if I was to review it right now, I would have no problems giving it a, a nearly perfect score. Like, I don't think, I don't think there's much to fault with up. I think it does everything that it sets out to do. It is a very emotionally uh, potent film. And it's, like I said, it's an adventure and it's all the thing. But no, I, I, I don't think I'd put it on my 250. I mean, but that, again, that's that's more about me being a soulless husk of a human being than it is, you know, anything about the film. That's all. That's all me. Like that's all my problems. Like so, yeah. And Andrew, what about yourself? Would it be on your own personal two fifty? Um, probably not. I I I I think I I I maybe didn't enjoy the um the adventurous kind of side of it later on with Christopher Plummer. Um. You didn't get into the spirit of adventure. No, I did not. Hey. You thought it, yeah. You thought it let it down. Hey, I can keep going, but you should talk. Um. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 just didn't care for it as much. I, I, I think we probably kind of, um, I think we may be learning that about me after having kind of done the Indiana Jones movies. That like I, I, I maybe don't kind of appreciate ad- ad- adventure the way I'm into. <laughs> you know 
it, it that it just it doesn't kind of like um uh, speak to me as much um you know that kind of rollicking stuff where 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 I can yeah. understand that it's kind of um that it's that it's appealing but that it, that it doesn't It's not really... what you look for in a film. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's all. Um That's but it do, it doesn't it doesn't take away from the movie I don't think. Um that that I uh, that's just very kind of personal um i guess yeah for myself i would probably say yes actually this is safely in my top four pixar movies um i the number one is probably always going to be inside out uh the other two on in competition are wally from the previous year uh which is just absolutely gorgeous and we will talk about it at some point in this podcast and then the incredibles uh which i'm i'm stunned is not on the list because that is just a fantastically constructed movie um in large part because i would argue it's like one of the best superhero movies ever made but also it's just not it's really a roller coaster a kids movie though definitely no not. no it's about an affair it's about a man having an affair and destroying yeah, his family and it's a james like, bond movie yeah, it's and an alfred hitchcock movie yeah yeah, yeah. No, like, again, this is the thing where I said, yeah, no, Up is Up is a family movie. Up is very much a family movie, like, when you compare it to the other stuff in the Pixar canon. Um, it, it deals with heavy themes, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but it, it is also a rollicking adventure movie with talking dogs and colorful birds. Um, so it, it knows what its audience wants. Um, but yeah, it would probably be in, in my 250. And then final question before we jump into the spoiler zone. So D, if listeners have not seen Up, or maybe even if they have, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? And would you recommend Doug Days as uh, somebody who has seen it? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, for Up, uh, even if you've seen it before, watch it again. It's so good. And I think that you'll probably have gathered so far from us talking to you know have tissues at the ready if you haven't seen it yet um or maybe if you have already seen it uh Doug Days um I mean well I might as well say now I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Monsters as Work at Work series yes so that the other Pixar kind of cash in series exactly series, yeah. it's very it reminded me a lot of that in that it's very much more kiddie oriented and I think that this yeah. is something that Disney Plus has generally been doing with all of their content outside of like say marvel all of their kind of offshoot series even like i watched um a few episodes of that turner and hooch one with josh peck which because the original turner and hooch like there's a bit of cussing in it and stuff you know it's not always it was it was an 80s movie so yes of course it was horribly inappropriate for children but it gets Um, it gets quite dark but like the whatchamacallit the tv series has totally like sanctified it and it's very uh, sorry sanitified sanitized it and it's very kiddish so I would say that also about Doug Days but I also did really appreciate the return to those characters because it does primarily follow Doug and Carl after they've moved into a house together and they go on like little adventures like um Doug sees fireworks for the first time and just freaks out and he sees Carl builds a Carl builds a birdhouse and it's attacked by squirrels. By squirrels, uh, yeah, squirrel. So um it's it's a sweet little accompaniment and I mean I think that it's like 5 10 minute long episodes yeah. but yeah. I mean like you you can kind of take it or leave it but again and it, it's also kind of a nice um it was uh whatchamacallit it was uh dedicated to the memory of ed dasner as well because i think it is going to be one of his last roles posthumously which is really sweet you know to see him in that role one more time yeah. and i mean and, and again like we, sh- we should point out yeah that's one of the interesting things about disney plus is like when they bought pixar they largely 
pushed it towards producing sequels. So it was only after Disney, and it actually it was over an argument over Toy Story 2 that made Disney buy Pixar. Because Pixar were like, we want to make original films. And Disney were like, yeah, but would you also like money? Um, and Pixar were like, yeah, we, we would like money, it turns out. Um, but Disney have been kind of pushing them more towards doing things like the, the car spin-offs and stuff like that. There was a big argument, I believe, over planes, where eventually, like Pixar said, we're not making planes. And Disney were like, fine, we'll make planes. Um, but like, it, it's interesting to see with the Disney Plus thing that you're seeing the contentification of Pixar where like they're becoming very much a brand like Star Wars or like Marvel where it's like we need more of this and we need it now so churn it out which is oh sorry I was just going to say you need to keep those production babies fed (laughs) (laughs) that's fair but it's interesting as well because um wasn't the Pixar CEO just talking in like the last maybe two or three years about how in terms of movies they're just looking at original movies for the next few years they're not doing sequels but that's because it's the focus of Disney Plus and television exactly so there you go yeah I mean like again there's a large discussion about like the decline of Pixar and the mythology that Pixar has kind of declined and you know I mean that is true in the sense that they are no longer in the part of like the 10 year run where they turned out like movies like Toy Story 3, Up and Wally in the space of like three years from one another. But it is interesting that you look at their calendar and it's like, no, actually, we're doing Soul, we're doing Luca, we're doing Bow, oh, sorry, we're doing Red, we're doing these stories from these, we're doing Coco, we're doing these stories from directors and perspectives that we've never done before that is, you know, experimental and playful and maybe not golden age stuff, but is, is still stuff that it's more interesting to see the studio do after years of like Finding Dory and Toy Story 4, which I loved as well, but kind of breaking into new territory. But Brian, what about yourself? Would you recommend listeners pause the podcast and stream up? Oh, 100%. Yeah, definitely. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Like, I mean, absolutely. And yeah, even it's worth a rewatch. It's always worth a rewatch, I think. I think it's definitely one of those films that I think it's actually good in the, in the sense of like, you know, I, there would be an argument that it, it's a little bit episodic. I don't know if that's necessarily correct. I would say it's more of a film you can drop in at any point and you could be like, yep, I know where I am and continue on watching it. Like, so yeah, definitely. I'd totally recommend it. Very similar to The Wizard of Oz. Like, yeah. it, it, Several of its cues are lifted directly from The Wizard of Oz, like down to traveling through a storm. And there's a moment where one character rides a uh, lo- leaf blower, like it's the, the kind of broomstick from The Wizard of Oz. So it has that sort of like old fashioned sensibility. Dropping in, dropping out is a good, good example, I think. Andrew, what about yourself? Do you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it? Yeah, I, I, a qualified recommendation. I know we've already harked on a lot about it and that we're not the only ones to do so. But that first nine minutes... They, they like well I, I, I think I started saying it earlier but didn't finish um my fiance just kind of turned to me and it's like this is a mistake you know <laughs> like this is not the right time to, to 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 watch this I mean the rest of the movie is joyous and that so it's 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 like a reverse of what we did yeah. with grave of the fireflies in my neighborhood at all. Oh, that's um, a tough watch. Yeah, yeah, but the, the double feature has to be like we talked about this. Like the double, they release as a double feature, uh, Fireflies and Totoro. Yeah, no, no. Well, that that's the thing is that like they it, they planned it to be Totoro and then Grave of the Fireflies, but they found that like after Grave of the Fireflies, people were just walking out as stunned zombies, unable to get. So, you know, sorry. After sorry, going from Totoro into Grave of the Fireflies, people were just kind of dazed, confused, and emotionally devastated. Whereas they found that if you do it the other way around, if you go Grave of the Fireflies into Totoro, it's like some fantastic drug. It is. It's it's, it's like you've discovered <laughs> happiness. <laughs> yeah, we were so giddy. 
We really were. It was like somebody had fed us sugar when we did that. Um, All right, then. And then for myself, absolutely unqualified recommendation. Uh, One of my favorite movies of the 21st century. Absolutely worth watching. Uh, Joy from beginning to end. Beautiful to look at. Beautiful to talk about. And we hope you'll join us on the other side of the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler Zone. So, Brian, what is up? about for you um what is up about for me i don't know i mean like i mean right we're in the spoiler zone now so we can talk about the nine minutes um it's definitely about yeah i mean you're kind of i know you're kind of maybe you're being flippant i don't know but like when you were saying like is up actually a meditation about life and death and the passage of time I wasn't being flippant. All, like most Pixar movies are. This is just yeah. very intensely. Very, very. Like in that nine minutes, it's like gets it all in yeah. there. And it's like compact and like you can unpack it and and it all comes out. But yeah, that nine minutes does, you know, more work in exploring that than anything else. And like Wally kind of did that as well. And that like Wally was able to like the idea of non, non-dialogue communication, you know, that sort of way that I can yes. just... It's pure cinema. It can really tell a story just by visual by by visual imagery as opposed to dialogue or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I it, it's I, I I see why people get so caught in that nine minutes. I, I I completely see it. Like, and I don't. If people only talk about that, that's worth talking about because it is it is a big chunk of this film, but. In saying that, like, I think Hope is hilarious. Like, Up is really yeah. funny. Like, Doug. I love Doug. Iconic. Like, <laughs> but, my name but, is Doug. I have just met you and I love you. Like, that is that. <laughs> like, and I love, like, when he... Apparently, I think, taken from one of the writers that worked as a camp counsellor for, like, seven-year-olds. And that was a line from one of the seven-year-olds. That's it. And it's so, like, it's so <laughs> obvious. So, yeah, that, I'm not surprised because that's too much... That's too good for it to be written. That somebody heard that and wrote it down. Like that's yeah. And even like, like when he opens up the door when they're flying, he opens up the door. He goes, "I was hiding under the get the pan." Yeah. And he's like, "I was hiding under the porch because I love you." (laughs) And he's like, and he just like the little, and he goes, "And you're my dog. Come on in." It's just oh Christ, like um, but yeah, no, it's it's just. I, I Doug for me is that film. I love Doug. I Doug is is the soul of that. You film. dug Doug. Yeah, I dug Doug. I completely dug Doug. Um, but it's interesting. I was watching the um, on the DVD actually. I was watching the special features of it, and I think it was Pete Doctor was talking about it, that um, when he was trying to like get the voice of Doug, um, he would just look at his dog and he would just imagine this voice coming out of his dog. This really kind of like, hello, I am Doug. And like just this really kind of simple, but completely honest and no filter whatsoever. Like, and then you go to the Pinchers, like the Dobermans. And okay, fine, they've got the really weird high-pitched voice. But it's just like the dialogue kind of, the dialogue um, determines the dialogue. Or sorry, not the dialogue. The voice determines the dialogue. As in... Doug is this sort of really simple but really effective, really heartwarming dog, whereas the pinchers kind of repeat themselves every so often and all that kind of stuff. So Are you not satisfied with this statement that I have made? Yeah, like that, like yeah, that's yeah. 
that kind of thing like that's real pincher like it's so efficient but repeats itself and it's almost verbose whereas Doug is just really like hello I have just met you and I love you but I would be happy if you stopped like you know like <laughs> it's probably radioactive or something yeah. like uh, I, like, I want to come back to the sense of humor, but I want to go back to the opening kind of nine minutes because I think like though they are stunning and there is a reason that everybody talks about them. And like, I think doctors talked about how, like, again, how so much of this comes from life because himself uh, looked at like Super 8 film reels from his own archives and he found that the silent images, uh, because the sound is obviously stored on the edge of the frame and it's, it's harder to play sound on those older films than it is just to watch them. He found that they were like very affecting just kind of watching the images play on screen. And in fact, like that one stage they considered like playing it as a like a silent short but with like sound effects so things like hearing the smashing of the jar or the the rumbling of the car engine and they said actually no that doesn't that doesn't work as well as just playing uh giacchino's kind of score over it as well um and things like the, the use of color shifting within it as well so it goes from being green and vibrant to being kind of like autumnal and kind of sepia tinted and stuff like that as well and like again fun fact is that this was almost cut from the movie um, apparently some people in Pixar thought that it went too far. They thought that it was too much to open a family-friendly movie uh, with this incredible sequence, which is is incredibly hard. Like, and t- it is there. It is. It absolutely is. And like, it's it's it goes places. Like things like the sequence where they visit the. And again, I think it's implied according to the writers and directors ellie had a miscarriage and and was infertile after that but you can also just read it as her discovering that she's infertile but the fact that they they go there in the story and they tell it and they show it and they let it sit as well the moment where he opens the door and just finds her sitting outside staring into space it's it's incredibly adult mature storytelling for as as we're going to talk about a movie with where there are literal dog fighters kind of later on um, it, it's stunning. It, it's an incredibly well-made piece of film. It's been argued that like it is the best Pixar short because obviously that's like everybody knows that Pixar have always kind of had this thing in house where they produce shorts as a way of kind of marketing. And it used to be the day that you would always go to a Pixar film and there would be a short beforehand. Mm-hmm. And it's been argued that like the opening sequence of Up is the best Pixar kind of short because it tells you an entire life story in the space of nine minutes, which is stunning. But uh, D, Andrew, any any thoughts on the opening yourselves? Yeah, it's it's just amazing. Um, it's really incredible. And um, it's funny when you were asking the question earlier about what is up about, uh, people's mind will automatically go to that opening sequence. And I think that a lot of people would say that up is about loss and grief. But I actually almost think it's more about the ever renewing late nature of life and love because the movie doesn't end after that sequence. It goes on. Life goes on like you know, to lose a loved one, it can feel like the end of your life too, but it's not. Life goes on and you kind of have to decide if you're going to kind of embrace a new type of life or just kind of float along. And for a long time, Carl is just floating along. And then obviously he meets Russell and Doug and they bring this kind of renewed life to him and he wants to live again and he wants to try again, which is really kind of, you know, beautiful. Um, it's there's some um, there's some like little bits I noted in that sequence, which kind of I hadn't picked up on before, which I think is really interesting when you go back and you rewatch a movie and you pick up on stuff. Um, the fact that she works with birds is foreshadowing Kevin. I hadn't really thought of that before. Um, 
I like the fact that, you know, with um, Pixar, they'll always throw in the odd adult joke. And I love when they're looking at the clouds and their babies and then Carl's <laughs> face because he knows <laughs> what that involves. It's very it's very subtle, but very Oh, that bit is so funny. Um, and there's so many kind of setups and callbacks even within that. Like, again, Pixar kind of famous storytelling. So thing like the the fact that when he first gets the little balloon cart and it starts flying, he panics. And then like later on in his life, he's much more comfortable. He he times his lean back to catch it perfectly. There's all like little details like that. The fact that like when he's walking up the hill when they're young, he's the one who kind of stumbles and has to catch his breath. And then they do it in autumn and she stumbles. Like it's so well constructed without words. It's it's amazing. It's so Sorry. it's so perfectly done um also it's a wonderful life reference hadn't thought about because you mentioned the wizard of oz and actually there are a few like the opening scene which is like black and white in the cinema and even though it's color on his face it becomes vibrantly colorful when he leaves the cinema and you get a similar moment like that when uh, just before the clouds part and he sees paradise falls it's kind of black and white to color i thought that was interesting and then a final kind of note which just really struck me and kind of added to the emotion of it was just before um we see kind of Ellie stumble and before like Carl buys those tickets for them to go abroad, um, you see them tidying the house and he's so vigilant and they're so like proud of their house and they keep it so well. And she has her little hunched over back. And I always think that that's kind of such a sign that like this is a couple who've been like working hard all their life. And it just adds so much to the tragedy of it because they've they've worked, they've earned this moment mm. and it snatched away from them and that kind of broke my heart a little when I thought about that moment you know and again it's just it's such amazing storytelling without words just the smallest of like gestures like that's just from a hunched over back it's amazing like the, um, yeah, um, no sorry. no I was just going to say just even the bit when like the construction guy puts his hand on the like, yes like you're, yeah. on, on the, on the yeah, post and like you're talking about like you know like a small gesture that's just literally just one hand and that's it and that just says it all like yeah but that's the thing like so much of this movie is executed in a way that feels evocative of kind of silent film like it's it's more obvious with Wally like it's more obvious with Wally where you have the opening half of Wally is pretty much entirely silent and then the humans show up and it becomes more talky whereas Up is is kind of similar but it, it spaces out its silent bits so you have sequences where like the opening sequence is largely silent without dialogue you have sequences where carl leafs through the book without dialogue and kind of reflects on memories and all this sort of stuff like a lot of the stuff here is very old-fashioned like cinematic hollywood storytelling and like heavily influenced by things like buster keaton and charlie chaplin stuff like that but even things like and also like heavily influenced by classic cartoons as well like when they land in the wasteland it's very chuck jones kind of you know roadrunner-esque like the, the Kevin is is very Roadrunner esque in the in the way that it evades the dogs that are chasing it. But even the way in which like the silhouettes of the mountains are kind of drawn in the background, that the rock formations remind me a lot of those kind of like impressionistic American kind of backdrops that you'd see in the Roadrunner cartoons. Things like the characters moving impossibly fast. Like I think it does it twice. Where there's a bit where like when he sneaks into the house and he sees Ellie, and then he turns around to look at the newspaper clippings, and you can hear Ellie talking to herself in the background. But then somehow she materializes on the edge of the frame behind him to catch him out which is again something you can only really do in cartoons it's it's incredibly visual which i i find kind of stunning sorry sorry Brian. i think i think on on, on the first nine minutes for me I'd, I'd 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 agree with 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 d in 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 that that kind of um sequence um if 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 it was this pixar short that was just that 
it, it would it just devastatingly sad and come away feeling that like life is kind of unfair and cruel what what the movie does very well is it kind of reintroduces the album and the payoff is yes. wonderful. Like it's the, that's the second bit where I cry. Yeah, yes. yeah. I, 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 I cried as well. And you're not crying because it's devastatingly sad. No. You're you're you you cry because of the like just the loving kind of joyous uh, life affirming kind of uh, uh, feeling to us, and that that's the point of the movie completely. Um, so yeah, to 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 just think about those nine minutes as great as they are kind of um i guess misses the point that 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 that, that, that sets up yeah. because you you I maybe think... can't have that point later on if it isn't for Without that this. that idea in the old man's head that everything has kind of uh, ended lost or... yeah 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 and that the, the I mean... life that they were meant to live um never happened it 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 kind of it reminds me a little bit about some of the stuff we talked about uh, covering soul but it but it, it's maybe maybe done with more subtlety i guess yeah well again it's a, it's a pete doctor movie so it has those kind of themes carrying over i mean like and we did talk about how like so much of pixar's and it's amazing so much of pixar's output as like the premium family-friendly studio working in american animation at the moment is basically about how you will die and everybody will leave you um like like even the toy story movies are ultimately like the fact that everybody you love will eventually leave you or outgrow you or move beyond you um and things like you know monsters inc which is you will have a child Mm -hmm. what coco as well Coco literally go to where they're all dead, (laughs) (laughs) and and then they all fade away as well. Is the thing as well? So it's not even that they die; they die again. They like they disappear (laughs) into nothingness. Um, in case you didn't have enough existential nightmares, but you know, and things like we we mentioned, like uh, Monsters Inc. being about how you will have a kid, and then you'll have to send the kid out into the world. Finding Nemo being about the same thing. I think what's interesting about up and i mean even say inside out is another example as well where riley is going through a change she's a child becoming an adult and she has to navigate that change but like up is is interesting because it's almost the reverse of that in that it is an old man reconnecting with his childishness if that makes sense it's like he's already gone by the start of the movie he's already gone through the transition we associate with pixar where it's like you you get old you grow up you move on and up is is interesting because it kind of inverts that because he finds the now have a new one kind of message from ellie tucked away in the back of like my my adventure book and he has to recapture he like he he wears the sash that russell has he kind of goes around and kind of like he ends up in the spirit of adventure and i love the closing image of the movie is him parking the spirit of adventure in a oap parking space uh which i kind of love just as these juxtapositions go and was very disappointed when it turns out in the opening scenes of dog days that he sold the spirit of adventure that was that was really good yeah. uh, brian's face Aww. brian just feels sorry yeah no that yeah he takes cat like and he oh. and he looks like he didn't get a good deal either. The opening credits show him like just getting a couple of notes for it as well. It's uh, love the spirit of Avenger. <laughs> you have to ruin it for me now. I uh, know, uh, Brian. You should sorry, watch it because it's if you love Doug, this is so Doug oriented. Yeah? It's, it's very Doug intensive. It's yeah. very true to the Doug in Up, which I really appreciated. Yeah. That was very important and, for me. And I mean, look. The spirit of adventure probably wasn't a good place to keep a pet. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's having fair, it in an apartment. Yeah. There's no garden. There's no greenage. I mean, I think Carl made the best oh, choice. Oh, that trauma, you know, from his yeah, life. I think Carl made the best choice as a dog owner that you could make. Um, but no, I, I do think there is something kind of interesting that in the idea that, yeah, Up is like an old man re-embracing childhood. Um, and kind of like 
becoming the child that he never really was. I find that really moving as well. Like, because the thing is with, with Ellie, Ellie is only on screen for those nine minutes. And as an adult, Ellie has no dialogue. As a child, she is voiced by Ellie Doctor, the director's uh, seven-year-old daughter. Um, and it's incredible how much of Ellie you get in those, like, opening few minutes, which I find... Because in a movie like this, it would be very easy for Ellie to be, like, the lost Lenore or the girlfriend who's fridged or the, you know, one true love. But I love that the movie's opening minutes give you so much of her and they show you how much she meant to him in that he doesn't. He doesn't get a voice until she's gone, really. Uh, which I find, and again, the idea that the movie is him finding that voice in her absence uh, and it becoming empowering. So no, I, I, I do, I think uh, Dee and Andrew are kind of correct there in terms of identifying the movie as being about not death, life. That's what they call it, right? Life, <laughs> not the thing that to is touch, um, To yes. touch also quickly on what Andrew was saying about that photo collage bit when he, he realizes, the, when he finds those extra pages, that hits you even more when you get married. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be our life. Uh, yeah, because he, he was getting more emotional at like the starting bits and I was getting more emotional about that. And I wonder if it's like, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if it's like a male female thing because like, you know, well, at least with Ivan, he's very much about, you know, ex- existentialism and legacy. And my thing is about, no, living life and having an adventure together and stuff like that. So it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just funny how um, different points kind of hit you differently in the movie. But that was that actually almost made me cry more than the married life bit because you always emotionally prepare for it when you're going into those nine minutes, and then when it's when it it's when it takes you by surprise, <laughs> <laughs> when it lands the left hook as well as the right, emotionally speaking. Well, I mean, that that's the thing that I actually I do really like about this is that it's. Because in, in so many stories, you have this idea that you have to choose between adventure and married life. Uh, in so many stories, it's the choice between you, you go out and you adventure and then you settle down and you marry and you have a mundane, ordinary life. Yeah. 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 The Incredibles is, is an example of this as well. And to be fair, The Incredibles eventually reaches the point that this movie reaches. Yeah. Which is, yeah. It's not like it, it yeah. is nuanced and it does kind of like, yeah. Yeah, but it's playing yeah. off the idea, the, the familiar idea that, like, you have your wild and reckless youth and then you, you settle down, you get married and you're a responsible grown up and you're no fun at all. You start wearing flannel and being boring at parties. You start being Tom Cruise at the start of Mission Impossible 3. That's that's basically the standard narrative of these things. But, like, I love that, like, Up is like, no, that that's not a binary. Like, for Ellie, being married was as much an adventure as traveling the world. And I find something really heartening and romantic in that idea i think um but uh, sorry we probably talked enough about the opening nine minutes what about the rest of the movie so like in terms of like just as an adventure how do we what do we like about it what do we love about up what we gave some love to dog i also want to give some love to beta and gamma i i, I found the 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 um why is he with that small male man um line like the, the, the bit where they're playing poker the <laughs> in, in in the entire movie for me I, I mean, having said that, I'd already kind of seen the movie, so I did, like I think Doug was the big kind of star the first time around. It's the things that you forget um, that okay. get you the second time. Yeah, I I love how and again this ties back to the child friendliness of the movie for all of the this is a solemn meditation on life and death and like mature adult life and marriage. I love little details like the slide whistle as as things fall. 
So whenever like the GPS gets thrown out the window or the tent gets lobbed across, you'll always get that kind of Looney Tunes slide whistle effect and how child friendly it is in terms of like outside of months, nobody dies. Like, I love that, like, whenever anything potentially threatening happens to the dogs, the movie goes out of its way to reassure you that they're absolutely fine. It's like when they're chasing the house and they jump over the cliff, you get the shot of them landing in the water just to show that they're okay. And when the three dogs are, like, in the fighter planes, which, again, is a sequence that I kind of adore, you make sure that you show them in parachutes afterwards as well. I, lo- I love how... Does definitely die? What? Does Mons definitely die? I feel like... Oh, you mean does he land in a in a sufficiently deep body of water, or do the balloons slow his fall enough? Is that what we're wondering? That is what I'm wondering. Okay, I'm gonna throw that to Brian. Indeed, do we think that Munce is? Uh... Can I pause I there? Can I pause there? Be... Listen, I I've okay. <clears throat> I have to. I can I? Could we wrap or can we come back? Do you know? Sorry, just because oh, yeah. I've I've yeah. yeah sorry, sorry, just I've like a table booked yeah, at like six o'clock. Um. Oh, no, it was yeah. gone. I didn't. Okay. I thought I didn't it was going to be an that. hour. Like, I, sorry, just, I, we're gone in like an hour and fifteen. Sorry, I no. should have said. I should have said Thank all this. Okay, no, 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 no. Um, d- d- dash away there. Yeah, cool. Do, do Do you have anything you want to plug or do? No, you no, no, no. Work? I'm all good. I'll. Um... Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, sorry. To, I didn't realize. Sorry. To... No, no, no. You're gone. It's my fault. I should have said. I should have said that I, I had to do it. Sorry. No, no, okay, no. I'm going to see Akira anyway in in Lighthouse, so that's why we're going for dinner first. Oh, amazing. Yeah. In- Enjoy. Yeah. I love Akira. Yeah, no, it's really, really cool. Okay, right, my wife is right. gone nuts here. Okay, right, I gotta go. All right. Thanks so we'll much. Dash, right. Right. Cheers. Thanks, bye, Brian. Bye, bye, bye. So, will we leave it there, or we can continue? It's up to you guys. I, I'm quite happy to continue yeah. a little bit, but um, whatever works yeah. for you. I, I mean, if, if Brian needs to record like a kind of an official sign, uh, like sign off, <laughs> we can like text him too because he did exactly. just like I'm gone. He said, like a voice note. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Um, but yeah, no, like again, just the the sheer funness of and like things like the 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 sense of humor. I think which which kind of Brian singled out as well. The fact that it's it's ridiculously funny. Things like the fact that the spirit of adventure is twenty eight prohibition paddy wagons long. Um, or the little bit where he's like he he traverses the Grand Canyon. He traverses. He goes around Mount Everest. Like the sense that the movie is kind of playful and fun, and it's it's not overly self serious. Um, which I think is like. That's that's what I wanted to ask, actually, Andrew and Dee. Like, do we think is that the reason why you get the reaction that you have to the oh, it's it's just the opening ten minutes, like because they're serious and they're hefty and they're weighty and they're very solemn in places. Is there a tendency to ignore the fact that no, this is actually just a really fun movie and to kind of overlook how much value that has of itself? Is that fair I think to say? that is why it's it's proven to be so timeless and so popular. I think it's really important that it does have that humor in it and that childishness and that playfulness. Um, Darren, I picked up on what you were saying earlier about how that is the development that Carl goes through is that he kind of reconnects with his inner child, like, you know, through meeting Russell. And he kind of becomes like a grandfather having skipped the stage of being a dad, which I thought was like quite sweet as well. But yeah, I definitely think the humor is a big part. And I, I I think that it's gas as well that the humor when it comes to Doug and the other dogs like landed so well, not just with the kids, but with the grownups as well, because we all love dogs so much. And that is exactly what we think anyway dogs would sound like and act like <laughs> if they could speak. It's hilarious. And I mean, there, there are bits where they act like very like dogs and act very unlike dogs, which and, and they just accomplish that 
balance so much um so well and i think that is yeah that's exactly why it appeals to families so much i think if it was just the nine minutes it would be a bit heavy and the (laughs) the adults would be using the kids as an excuse to leave the cinema because it's too heavy for them you know what i mean so uh that's kind of funny and actually just to add a final note about just with regards to like its childishness and its playfulness i think that kevin is a really interesting character in that regard because i think that Kevin as a character is not not particularly doesn't have particular depth I don't think. Um I think that Kevin's kind of main um function is to be a maternal presence like you know she's going to protect her babies and then we do see that point where she actually does save you know, Carl and um, Russell, like she absolutely saves the day. They would not have gotten away from Charles Muntz otherwise. And saves Doug, yeah. yeah, at the, and at saves the end Doug of the as well. Doug having, you know, trying to take her as his prisoner, which is very <laughs> sweet. Um, but Kevin, it looks like, ended up being a character that landed particularly well with the kids. Because I even remember when, um, when it was out, uh, my youngest sister was a kid then she's a teenager now um but i remember the the toy that she wanted from the movie was kevin rather than doug so i thought that that was quite interesting is it like the color is it the design that really appeals to kids but um yeah no i i thought i'd have to give kevin a shout out i mean doug is obviously the mvp <laughs> you know i mean like with, with like and again this is the, the kind of wonderful how well designed these things are because i want to talk about the animation a bit later on but in terms of like color it's notable that like the color of Kevin is designed to recall the color of the balloons on the house. They're both they're both plumage and they're designed to mirror one another. And you have the idea that Kevin is trying to get back to her kids. And it, interestingly, initial drafts of the, the movie were going to focus on the idea that Kevin's eggs uh, were the elixir of youth, the fountain of youth. Uh, but they said that that would be too dark, particularly with the opening sequence, the idea of months cracking open the eggs and feasting on them to continue living. But you have the idea that Kevin is a maternal figure in the way that Carl needs to learn to be a paternal figure. And I think, like, again, very interesting point you made there about Russell, who we might talk about in a second as well. The idea that, like, he and, and Ellie wanted to be parents and he eventually becomes a parent. Um, and kind of like the idea that that is, again, it, it's that, that thing that we mentioned where marriage marriage is an adventure or family is an adventure. Like as much as he's like dragging this wonderful flying house around and kind of like fighting, you know, jets and taking over blimps, he's also becoming a dad. And that is also, you know, Spielbergian as it might seem, that is part of his journey and it's kind of paralleled with the two. And I like that even the aspect of Kevin is so thematically tied to what the movie's doing. That it's like, yeah, even this supporting character that doesn't have any dialogue and is arguably in any other movie would just be a MacGuffin. It's something for months to be chasing. But even that reflects the idea that this is a movie built around how important family is uh, at the risk of getting all Vin Diesel on us on this <laughs> podcast right now. But like, even things like how Russell and the fact that like Russell's absent father, Russell is a young boy looking for... We haven't mentioned Russell at all, actually. Yeah, um, he's great. I love Russell. Ah, I absolutely is such adore a Russell. Yes, apparently uh, based on Russell Yang, uh, who lived next door to Pete Doctor, and would apparently was a Boy Scout. They did not get the rights to call him a Boy Scout in the movie, but he would knock on on Pete Doctor's door and give the spiel. And Yang has said, "Yes, watching the movie, I very much saw myself in the uh, rolling up the notebook and starting from scratch over as well." Apparently, also inspired by uh, Pete Son who was an animated uh, uh, Pixar as well, because uh, apparently he had a way of telling stories that they did uh, with Russell as well. And yeah, no, Russell's 
I love Russell so much as a character because um, he's just so endearing. And again, the idea that, and I think Ebert kind of made this point when he was reviewing it. Ebert made the argument that like in most other children's movies, Russell would be the protagonist, mm. like, and Carl would be the supporting character. Your your window into this world would be the plucky Boy Scout kid who teams up with this cranky old man and they save a magic bird together. And one of the interesting inversions of Up is that, no, Russell is actually the comic relief, kind of, to the story. But even then, he gets this kind of character arc where it's like, no, he is looking for his dad. And and lines, like, and again, so much is, is constructed so well where it's like, Phyllis says that I shouldn't bother him so much. And the movie never tells you if Phyllis is uh, his, his father's secretary or his father's new wife. Um, and, like, the movie kind of lets you figure that out yourself, which I think is interesting. And it's not really exploited too much for tears or anything either. Like, if yeah. it, like the, 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 it's kind of the, the, the sadder thing is that it's a kind of, like, an adult situation that a, that a really kind of um, happy-go-lucky child... Innocent, innocent child. Yeah, sorry, is a better word. A child is kind of witnessing and making sense of. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, that's the thing is that he, like, the reason why he's doing this wilderness explorer stuff or, or trying to, like, help the, the elderly is because he believes that if he does that, his father will come to the ceremony, which is a very childlike understanding of a very adult situation. And I like that the movie doesn't skimp on that. Like, at the end, you have the silence and the pause. And I didn't cry at that bit, perhaps because I have dry eyes and uh, I, like, clinically could not. It's a medical condition. It is a medical condition. It is now a medical condition on this podcast that Darren can't cry. But, like, I found that really touching, the bit where they they let him sit in the silence. I love, by the way, that nobody cleaned him up for the ceremony. (laughs) Like, you went straight there. I think they came straight back. I think they they were probably hauling ass. To, to get the, the, back to in, get time. Back in yeah. time for, for the presentation. It's like, if we don't do this, I have to wait another three weeks for the next one, really. Um, but what about, what about yourself, Dee, in terms of like Russell um, as a character, or the way that Russell's used? Oh, I adore him. I think he's such a sweetheart. I think he's so well written in that, like his dialogue, like he sounds just like a kid. Um, and I think the actor was seven years old, I think, recording it as well. Yeah. And they would say that like the way that they would do it is they would tell him to run around and jump on a chair while delivering his dialogue. That's the way you get child actors to give good voice performances. It's like tire yourself out and then say the line. Yeah. There you go. Um, no, I thought he was brilliant in it. Um, so plucky. Uh, he's yeah. yeah, very sweet kid. Um, one of the moments that I love with him uh is actually kind of his final moment, um, just because you were talking about the award ceremony there, when Carl gives him the Ellie badge and pins it on. Like, so often in life, there are these moments where, like, an adult will, like, hand over something to a kid and they just don't get it. They don't get the value (laughs) of this sentimental item. And, like, even though Russell and Carl never really have a proper conversation about Ellie and who she is, like... Even um, even Russell's kind of like he gets the association of Ellie with the house because remember he's kind of manipulating Carl at one point, being like, you know, Ellie, Ellie can I keep the dog? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she says I can keep the dog. It's like, yeah. but Ellie, I told him he could. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, I love reminiscing about this movie. But but yeah, the so. fact that like Russell gets it immediately and his eyes like light up and he goes, wow, you know, that's that's such a beautiful little moment for me um and i kind of want to talk a little bit about the the animation of this just because it is a visually stunning film um there was an interesting article written i think by adam rogers recently about how pixar um animate in colors that like 
television screens cannot display. Like they've rendered their animations in in enough detail and complexity and with enough information that apparently they are future proofed for about fifty years, uh, which is absolutely stunning to me. Um, but the thing that I find really interesting about Up is that it is arguably, and and I'm waiting for Andrew to jump in on this, but arguably the first time that Pixar have really made a human centric story. Uh, in that, like, with the possible exception of The Incredibles, which I would argue is about superhumans, um, Pixar have Meta-humans, largely avoided right? meta humans. That is what That's they call the, them. That's what we call them these days. Yeah. Um, we're very conscious about that these yeah. days. We don't want to throw the, the S word around too much. But I, I do think that, like, because one of the big things with computer generated animation when it first came out in the late 90s was the idea that it was going to be photorealistic representations of human beings on screen. You couldn't tell the difference between a computer generated actor and a real actor. Uh, and so you saw things like, for example, uh, Final Fantasy The Spirits Within, if you remember that movie correctly. Um, things like uh, you know other movies along those lines as well that were like really uncanny valley, really creepy. Would have been and- around that time, I feel. Beowulf was, I think, shortly afterwards, but it was before this. Okay, yes. Yeah, so yeah. like you had Zemeckis's embrace yeah. of motion capture, things like Zemeckis the Polar stuff. Express. Yeah. yeah. Like where everybody is Tom Hanks and somehow it is not reassuring, oh, um, yeah. which is. It's, I don't like, I know. Uh, it's so weird. I know a few people who love the Polar Express and it's their, like their favorite Christmas movie. And I find it so creepy. I can't get into it. Especially that puppet scene is terrifying. But yeah, it's weird. But, yeah. I also remember reading about, so Tom Hanks is everyone? so weird yeah. <laughs> like they had to they eventually convinced the mechas to redub the children if i remember correctly that was apparently the line there although apparently the children are still like motion capture based on tom hanks which is very disconcerting I seen but it. it's, like, it's just making me think of that scene in being john malkovich um, <laughs> it's kind of like that it's quite like that but like the, and, and then again like you could argue the greatest accomplishment of polar express is that it takes the most lovable man in america and makes him deeply creepy which is a cinematic accomplishment of what itself the, the what zemeckis is trying to do yeah and it's like, like tom hanks is is too much america's people, sweetheart people are too kind of comfortable with tom hanks and just in their minds <laughs> like <laughs> Need to kind of <laughs> looking at other human beings. Those cages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Provide something deeply unsettling, I guess. But like so, you know, and that was the that was like the the kind of like the holy grail of, of animation was that you're gonna make computer generated people that are you know, you cannot tell the difference between them and real people. And I think like Pixar's big break early on was figuring out no, uh, that's deeply, deeply creepy. Like have you seen they did a short with the baby? Uh, which is one of the most disturbing and unsettling things I've ever oh, seen. the 90s one or something. Yeah. 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 It's weird. <laughs> yeah. That was the point at which they sat down as a studio and said, no. <laughs> Nobody must ever see a feature like this. So that's why they did Toy Story, because they figured, like, the skin looked plastic and creepy. So, like, what has creepy plastic skin? Toys. And, uh, and then, you have, obviously, you have, like, fish. Yeah. You have monsters. Um, and you do have human characters in these. But, you like, Wally, for example, has human characters in the second half. But Up is really the first time that Pixar say, let's take human characters, foreground them, make them the main kind of characters. And I love how stylized they are. Like Carl's head looks like a box, which is kind of amazing. His body is also uh, a box. It's a box on top of another box. <laughs> which is... But like that, that's like because after this, like Pixar become kind of more comfortable. So you start like Luca, for example, Red is going to be inside out. They're all kind of like human based kind of Pixar stories and animated stories. Inside and I think out it works because almost kind of isn't as well. You know, that's a fair yeah. point because it's inside Riley's head for so much of it as well. But like 
I, I kind of love that up feels like the moment at which they really kind of crack it. Because I think if you go back and you watch The Incredibles, which I love, it hasn't aged particularly well in terms of animation. I would think in terms of like likeness and kind of like at the time it was like, this is amazing. But now you go, this is kind of plasticky and creepy and not just Elastigirl. And I think that if you look at, say, the second half of Wally with the humans in their kind of like floating chairs, you're like, I get that they're meant to be spongy and, and kind of circular and stuff, but it's still not a, well, it's, a regular human shape. It's most yeah. apparent with the like humans in Toy Story. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Sid. Which they yeah. very consciously are avoiding showing, probably because <laughs> yeah. of the animation. Yeah. But like, I, I love that Up is like, yeah, no, we, we figured out how to make it work. And the way that we make it work is we don't make them look like people. Mm. Like we, we actually, like we use CGI and instead of going for like verisimilitude, instead of going you know, for like we an want Elmer this... Fudd sort of style yes. more. Yeah. With like a little bit more kind of detail, I guess. Oh yeah, no, because it, like it, it, it's absolutely stunning to look at. Like the the beauty, like it is a wonderfully animated film, which is stunning. And I think um, one of the big influences on this was Miyazaki. Actually, I think Ebert in his review compared it to Miyazaki, and I think we mentioned Pete Doctor um, at this time was doing the directing of the English language dub of Howl's Moving Castle, um, which I think is. A, Oddly, one of my favorite Miyazaki movies. That's my controversial. That's my hot take. That's the Christian um, Bale. Uh, that is yeah. the Christian Bale is the wettest of of Miyazaki boys. Um, such a wet boy. A, uh, he is such a wet boy. Um, apologies for making D deeply uncomfortable. No, no, I, but, I heard the podcast. I'm used to that. <laughs> <laughs> but like the idea that like it, it kind of has that kind of Miyazaki thing where kind of it it it's not quite action or plot driven. It's kind of mood based and it kind of zigs and zags, which I, I kind of find interesting as well. It does. It's not. And it, like Zaki's obviously a huge influence on Pixar at the moment. Like at this point in time, Lasseter, uh, who is still working at Pixar at this point in time, is like the big champion for Miyazaki. He's doing press and interviews for him. But I, I think that you can see Miyazaki's influence on Pixar when you look at something like Luca later on. Where Luca is like this weird hangout movie where nothing really happens and a bunch of kids spend a summer together. And you're like, yeah, I know this is a this is a Miyazaki movie. This is um, Kiki's Delivery Service or this is My Neighbor Totoro or this is even Spirited Away. But I think there is a bit of a Miyazaki vibe to Up, maybe. Am I am I reaching? Am I being D? Yeah, certainly, especially when you talk about. Um, uh, well, I mean, there are loads of inf- there are loads of um, examples like Spirited Away, you know, the the grandmother and that and then the which of the wa- waste is it in yes yeah. the, the Mizaki old people yeah, yeah exactly exactly so they're so stylized and then again with Carl Fredrickson you have an old character which by the way we also need to touch on the fact that so we were talking about how he's a box on top of another box like as a kid he's normal proportions as a middle-aged man he's normal proportions <laughs> and then he suddenly becomes <laughs> two boxes when he's old I just I, I love that I think that's amazing and then I love that they show it via the, the tie the tie the tightening is how they do it it's like at, during one of those cuts it's suddenly oh no that's a yeah. box that's not a that's not a body anymore oh it's so funny and even like like russell he's like he's not a little chubby kid he's an egg you know <laughs> yes. like he's just egg shape for no yeah. apparent reason um but yeah no i love that and i think that actually part of the reason why it works particularly well in this just because we are talking about the animation like up is so visually iconic and so immediately recognizable and one of the visuals is that obviously the house with the balloons and i even remember when the first teaser trailer for up 
came out, it was literally, I think it was like 15 seconds long. It was just the, you see blue sky. It was the kid at the window, wasn't it? It was the kid running to the window and seeing I the house go by. I, I think I that it that was. Scene. I, yeah. I think that it was literally a blue sky and then balloons and then you see the house. Okay. I can't, I can't remember now if the characters were in it, but I definitely remember that visual and being like, what is that movie? I must know. <laughs> yeah. But, but as well, what's iconic is those four characters of Kevin, Doug, Carl and Russell. And I think it is because they're so like, they're so cartoonish and they're so immediately recognizable. Whereas I think if they'd gone for a more realistic design in terms of Carl and and Russell it'd be less iconic you know and I also think that those four characters against that environment which is also quite stylized you know they keep talking about like South America and it kind of it's just taking little bits from all over it's I like suppose. a Picasso painting yeah, like because like, and I like that the movie signposts this by having Carl's house decorated with yeah. these kind of like Picasso abstract paintings so when you get to a landscape that is decorated by rocks that like that human that bit where that like he sees a man and it turns out to be two separate rock formations and it's like it somehow makes less sense than it being one rock formation. <laughs> no, it's it's gas. But yeah, no, my point just being like, yeah, the, those four characters kind of complement each other in terms of design because of the stylization, you know? Yeah, and I think you, you kind of single on something there when you describe like Russell as egg-shaped because they, they are core. Like, isn't that the thing in animation is the idea that characters should have core shapes that are very yeah. simple and very easy you to identify. think of like the, the, the Don Conroy, I remember when, when I was... The, the, you would have the the and and when 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 I when I would make little comic books, I'd always think in those terms. So I'd, I'd make like a peanut shaped head or uh, that sort of thing. That's what you have to kind of um, uh, start out. Yeah. With. And I mean, like, it should be noted that I think Doctor said that, like, this was this was usually influenced by the old men in his own life. Um, and those old men were like, you know, Disney veterans, I think Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson, who were like two of the famous nine old men, the, the nine classic animators of the Disney Golden Age, who were kind of like charged with curating animation and also Joe Grant as well. But I, so I kind of like the idea that and again, this ties back to, you know, if I were making an argument for Up as one of the 250 greatest films in a whatever an objective term for that would be. But the idea that it kind of celebrates this history of American animation, because it it is an animated film in, in many ways. It, it, it like it, it's a celebration of animation. It's not trying to emulate or replicate live action in a way that a lot of CGI did. It feels cartoonish in a way that I don't think CGI always did to that point i think that brad birds like ratatouille and and kind of the incredibles did but i don't think that you know a lot of the dreamworks stuff a lot of the sony stuff to this point like was satisfied being cartoons um and i think this really is and i think that's a large part of why it works actually just to add one more shout out in terms of just while we're on the subject of design and um characters the fact that the builders and developers are the Matrix agents. I just love that. Yes. I thought it was brilliant. And they don't speak. And, it's fantastic. And and the fact that they're so simple, like their design is so simple compared to his as well. Like they don't have human features. They're like reptile people. They have little pointy eyes and black suits. And like they have like a small nose and a tiny mouse. Like they don't look like, even compared to like the builders, even compared to uh, Munch that like, they don't seem like real people, which is, again, a wonderful use of like animation as a medium to, to tell something. I think Brian pointed out like the little gesture where the developer just puts his hand on the fence post, which is just such 
good storytelling just visually. It's it's amazing. And the kind of thing I think you can only really do kind of in cartoons. Sorry, Andrew, did I cut you off? Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, um, I forget what I was going to say. Um, I think I was probably going to talk about the Emoji movie and pretend that... <laughs> I mean, classic shape. We are talking about like classic animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, How don't forget the emoji are. movie. Oh, yeah, when it comes to embracing this. I mean, the emoji movie kind of fall. I mean, I think we can all say that Inside Out walked so that the emoji movie could like use a poop emoji. Um, <laughs> Voiced by Patrick Stewart. Like, why? Why, Patrick? <laughs> I know you're a fan have you of heard great, the, but no. Have you heard the Jordan Peele story about this, which is great? Like this, that was apparently so Jordan, this was the moment Jordan Peele decided he wanted to be a director was he was like, he was like, okay, so I'm coming off Key and Peele. It's a hot sketch show. Uh, I'm a known property. I'm an actor with a brand. I I should want, uh, like people should be asking me to be in their movie. I think himself and and Key had done piano. Uh, Sorry, Keegan Michael Key had done piano. Uh, Piano. Um, piano they'd done piano together um but like so so peel was like um you know so like i should be a property so i called my agent i'm like what you got what parts are they offering me what do they want me to do i'm, I'm ready i'm willing to work and they're like so we got an offer for the um for the emoji movie and he's like uh, i don't know what that is like yeah they want you to play the poop emoji and jordan peel's like uh what yeah you know the, the poop emoji in your phone they want you to voice that and jordan, it's chocolate yoga yeah that, that's what it is and then jordan peel's like uh uh I don't know if I want to do that. And his age is like, look, take a day. Think on it. This could be a big deal. You've got no idea in terms of licensing what the potential. You could be swimming in money off the back of this. So Peel goes, look, I don't really want to. And his age is like, just think about it. And it's like, okay, fine. So Peel goes away for a day and he's kind of sitting in his chair and he thinks, you know what? It would be nice to have like the financial security of like having all the licensing coming through for the poop emoji. So he picks up his phone. He calls his age and he's like, uh, you know, I thought about it and I think you're right. Just tell them I'd, I'd love to be the poop emoji. And his agent goes, I'm sorry, they've already hired Patrick Stewart. Um, and that was apparently the moment where Jordan Peele went, I don't want to be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the joke wasn't on Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart was like, um, don't tell me no. anything more. He was like, yes. Um, <laughs> when, yeah, he, 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 he loved like the idea of being the poop emoji. And Captain, the Captain Picard being the voice of the poop emoji. But to bring us back to up, is there anything we want to talk about? Anything we haven't discussed or anything jumping out at people in terms of the movie? We did, we did, we did mention a little bit, but the 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 scene when the when the balloon is rising and and it plays through um, uh, that girl's kind of living room. I don't, I don't, yes, that, that stop was, it. I was That's so funny. it was such an accomplishment, I think, as well, and kind of um, like beautiful for what I was doing. You know, yeah. well, it's it's that it's again it's a it's kind of Mazaki thing where it's magical realist. Yeah, it's 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 like it's magical realism kind of coming in. It's like something intruding into the world that shouldn't be there, but is like makes the world better for it, which is stunning, um, absolutely amazing. Um, and worth noting by the way, that sequence has the cameo from the Pixar ball. She's playing with that that famous Pixar ball, one of the first oh, things yeah. that they animated, and also has a small cameo in the bottom left hand corner of the screen from Lotso Huggin' Bear. Um, from Toy Story 3 because they like to seed the next movie in in the movie that they're making but yeah that sequence where he's just flying over and like it's just and again so much of this movie is so effective just as visuals the bit where the the house is floating and the birds are like sitting on the like wires and as it goes past the birds fly along with it and it's again talking about it makes it seem very banal but it's just incredibly sweet and incredibly calming and just lovely 
just like that. It's it's a warm hug of a movie, which I, I find incredibly moving as well. And when the house lands in its perfect spot after it's yeah. fallen. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Everything ends up where it's supposed to be, which is, again, it's, it's kind of like one, like you get there in the end, which I find. And, and like, and again, visual storytelling. I mean, I know everybody listening to this podcast and everybody talking to this podcast already knows it, but like the simple idea of like Carl unburdening himself of like the stuff that's been weighing him down. Now I, I want to know exactly what's in the fridge. Like that's, that's my big question. Watching the yeah. movie. What the hell was, was he keeping in fridge? that fridge? Cause yeah, that, that could be the one example of food waste. Cause I, yeah, I was thinking yeah. about the kind of like the nightmare blimp that Mons has. <laughs> you invite, you're invited like, onto environmental a disaster, it's like <laughs> dog serving you and all of this. None of the champagne gets in your glass and you're, you're, your your food gets eaten. That was terrible. Um, that was just a nightmare. I love that again, like the little short joke of the dog like cleaning the bones and then gnawing on it. That was fantastic. Or even but, like but the dogs like, are so well behaved when they set the table, but then when the hot dog is placed, they immediately go for But but like the the way in which it like literalizes and visualizes the idea, and again, it, it's something I find deeply moving as well. The idea that like Carl it's okay to love somebody. It's okay to lose somebody and feel the sense of loss and absence uh, that you have after that person is gone. But the idea of like unburdening yourself and letting it go by literally having him take the stuff out of the house and like letting the house fly and letting him fly with the house. It's not the most subtle visual metaphor ever like put on screen, but it it's beautiful and it's moving and like it's a wonderful bit of storytelling, um, which is it's something the movie is so good at without dialogue, without characters saying stuff, just having you understand this is this is what's happening on screen and this is what it means, yeah. um, which is just wonderful um, and, and kind of magical. It's another great payoff because like he 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 really does associate that house with Ellie. He's he's calling the house Ellie from that very first scene where he sits out on his front porch. It's the first time we've seen him. And he's spoken since, you know, her passing. Like that house is what he's come to associate with being her. And I think that like it's beautiful as well that a character like Russell came into his life and Russell is so like Ellie in a lot of ways. And that must have been like a very painful experience for Carl. You know, the fact that, you know, he is so enthusiastic and he wants this sense of adventure and, you know, he's all about exploring the wilderness and she's the same and... Yeah, it's just there are so many things that come full circle in this movie and it's it's really wonderfully done. I just add as well, like it's like I think that Spielberg does movie magic so well. And I think this movie has a lot of movie magic in it in that you do have to suspend your disbelief at times, like with regards to how many balloons are still holding up the house and where and how high it changes a lot. Um, and then, you know, at the end when Carl is like, he has the, whatchamacallit, the um, the fire hose and he's managing to hold Kevin and Doug and Russell on it. Like this is an old man. It's a bit, it's a bit bonkers. But, but I love that even yeah. that is like a callback because even that's a callback to the dream sequence earlier where like <laughs> where he imagines himself trying to lower oh, yeah, Russell down. Him. Which is <laughs> like, it's, and it's such a great sequence because like you haven't had a dream sequence like that in the movie to that point. So you're like, when you first see it, you're like, wait, this, is this actually happening? And then he drops Russell and then you cut back to him going, eh, that wouldn't work. 
<laughs> which is just so but the fact that it pays that off with him yeah. actually holding on yeah. to him now i and, want you to live <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to just wanting not to feel guilty about killing you um <laughs> but th- things like things like that and the fact that like that that's an indiana jones moment that's like a moment from like the last crusades where the tank goes over the edge and they're all peering over looking down and he thinks they're all gone and then he pulls them up it's just it's so much fun um, but Andrew, what about yourself? I think we have into the story already. Anything jumping out at you in terms of uh, up? No, no, not, not, not a thing. Um, not an occurring to me. No. All right. Um, D, anything, anything for yourself or? Um, just I. Well, we touched on it already, but I just give a shout out again to Michael Giacchino's fantastic soundtrack. Yes. Um, it's just really beautiful. Obviously, the I think it's called Married Life is the name of yeah. that opening nine minutes. Um, that's just such a beautiful wonderful piece of music but the rest of the soundtrack is excellently scored and um that um motif from that um musical sequence as well is used quite effectively throughout the movie as well so yeah he's a great composer he did the music for like wally and some other movies in there as well but definitely he deserved um the oscar for up i think it's beautiful soundtrack I mean, I would I would argue that Giacchino is um, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his name and I should apologize for that in advance. Um, not that that has ever stopped me, but like he is he's I would argue he's one of the great modern composers. Um, he's like when I hear his when I hear a soundtrack and I like it, it's generally either a composer who's been working since the 1970s or it's Michael Giacchino. Um, so like he has these long term relationships with like people like J.J. Abrams, uh, where he's done like he did the two recent Star Trek uh, reboot movies. And I know that I like those more than Andrew does, but I think the soundtracks of those are great. He does all of Brad Bird's mo- movies. So he did obviously like The Incredibles, uh, Ratatouille, but he also went on and he did, I think, Tomorrowland as well with Matt Reeves. Um, he did obviously the, the Planet of the Apes movies as well. Uh, and he's like just done this kind of incredible. He was the first composer apart from John Williams to score a Star Wars movie. Like there's a fun fact for you, um, which is kind of incredible and kind of amazing. And this is beautiful. And I, I think the the married life thing is is great because he uses or at least the, the film uses it in a way that is very economical because it's a very simple melody. You can kind of hum it to yourself. And it kind of like plays over through repetition and becomes, because this is a movie, as we point out, that is largely silent in extended stretches, the music becomes an emotional tether in a way that isn't always the case uh, when we talk about movie soundtracks. Like there's a there's a school of thought that if you notice the movie soundtrack, it's bad, uh, which is particularly prevalent uh, actually in television, where I think like Rick Berman, when he was working on Star Trek, wanted what he described as sonic wallpaper for um for the the tv shows that he was making but like the idea that the music is inseparable from the imagery and the storytelling here which i think is is amazing um and yeah so i'm kind of glad that we kind of singled that out um he got he won an oscar for this did he get an oscar nomination for ratatouille i think two years earlier as well so no oscar nom since though which is is frustrating alas um all right anything else then anything else you want to talk about anything we haven't discussed already Anything jumping out at people. All right, then. So we normally do the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners. Now, I am going to off mic ask Brian if he would like to record a recommendation. If he does, I'm going to insert it here. Hey, so uh, recommendations uh, after up. Um, the one film that I would recommend if you want a kind of a companion piece to up um is The Station Agent, uh, which is written and directed by Tom McCarthy. Tom McCarthy, you'll know, he did uh, Spotlight. 
and he was in The Wire that season. I think it was the final, yeah, it was the final season of The Wire he was involved with. And um, the station agent, it's it was it's basically Up. It's a live action version of Up with Peter Dinklage and Patricia Clarkson and Bobby Cannavale, and it's about this uh, man who uh, has this deep love of railroads, and uh, his best friend is this old man who runs uh, a train model shop, and the friend dies, and then essentially wills him this piece of land that's basically like a train depot. And uh, Peter Dinklage is, uh, you know, the, his character that he plays is very, very much like uh, Carl in that, you know, he's quite taciturn, doesn't really talk to people, kind of keeps to himself to himself. But he's forced to interact with other people. He's forced into being sociable when he's not naturally sociable. Um, and it's a lovely little film. Like, it's, it, I think it was like, I'm nearly certain it was Tom McCarthy's first film. And... Uh, I don't know where you'd see it. I'm not. I don't think it's on Netflix, and I don't think it's on. It might be on Amazon Prime, but if you can find it, it's beautiful. It's a really, really lovely film. It's like an hour and a half long. It's really good. It's one of those lovely little Sundance indie films that you don't necessarily see anymore, or if you do see them, they're on Netflix and. The kind of come and go, if you know what I mean. But if you can find it, this is a really, really good film to watch. Another thing that I'd watch, kind of in keeping with the idea of, uh, you know, something that's that's quite upbeat and quite uplifting in the, in a way that up is uplifting and upbeat, um, is definitely Ted Lasso, um, the Apple, uh, the Apple TV series. It's 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 abs- it's so good, um. And Jason Sudeikis as well. Like I mean, he's he's he really reminded me of, um, you know, he really reminded. He's kind of like, he's kind of like Doug, <laughs> and I know I kept going on about Doug in the show, but he reminded me of Doug in the fact that like he's so upbeat. He's just trying to find a solution to everything. He just wants everyone to be happy. He's just kind of going around this like little ball of energy going around the place, spreading joy wherever he goes. And you know, I think we tend to kind of see characters like that that are so relentlessly upbeat as they're either idiots or they're so kind of happy that there's got to be something underneath there's got to be something and there isn't there doesn't have to be and i think while while we can believe it in a character like dog because he's a dog and we just imagine dogs just to be happy all the time um in Ted Lasso, Jason Sudeikis, his character is so he just he he just has this natural he's just this font of 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 joy, not even happiness, but joy. Like he just seems to be he he just seems to be so relentlessly joyful in his work, and he enjoys it, and he's really it, it just spreads out of him. Um, I was really taken by it, I, and I think it's one of those shows that like. I have this tendency, I don't know about you, but I have this tendency that if somebody recommends me something, I automatically ignore it. I'm like, no, I, I, I need to find it myself. And maybe that's just, I don't know, from being a professional critic that like I have to, I can't take anyone's recommendation. I have to, I have to come to it. I have to come to it. Honestly, I have to come to it by myself. But a lot of people have been recommending Ted Lasso and, um, and I watched the first episode of it and I was like, right, yeah, I need to 
I need to just if people are telling if everyone's telling me this is good then it's worth watching so um so yeah those would be my two recommendations uh the station agent if you can find it and Ted Lasso which is on Apple TV plus so D what would you recommend for listeners um let me think I think that Doug Days is worth a watch you know I mean it's only 50 minutes long oh I also watched there's um there's also a short oh what's called like Doug's mission adventure or something and Doug's yeah Doug's special mission or special something special mission yeah. yeah and the idea of that movie it, that that short is that you know how when we meet him he's on like a mission to get the bird <laughs> so this uh, particular short depicts Beta and uh, Gamma sending him off on this mission and he keeps on getting into all these scenarios I didn't enjoy that as much as I'd say the series the series I did get a kick out of like I said it is a bit kiddish but I am a big kid and if you love Doug and like I said, it's a lovely tribute to um, Ed Asner's work as Carl as well. There are some very sweet moments between them. And, you know, it's it's interesting to see how that character has developed as well, because Carl was so, so grumpy throughout <laughs> up and he's really softened a lot. And it's a realistic character development. So I thought that that was quite sweet. Um, in terms of other recommendations, I saw Our Ladies in cinemas recently, and that's a Ooh. lot of fun. If you're looking for like a comedy, that's not going to make you cry. Although it's slightly <laughs> bittersweet at the end, you'll see what I mean. But it's it's very funny. And it's not just Dairy Girls. Everyone's like, oh, it's just Dairy Girls. It's not. It's 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 a lot more adult, um, but it's very <laughs> funny and it has a life unto its own. And if you're looking for something of a similar theme to Up, um, I'd also recommend Me Before You trilogy of books by Jojo Moyes, just in terms of exploring stuff like death and grief and kind of finding a new kind of life after suffering a major loss. I think that that trilogy really kind of deals with that topic quite beautifully. And I'd also add, if you've seen the like, you know, critical reviews for the movie. I quite like the movie, but the movie definitely is not as nuanced as the book. Give the book a chance. I know that definitely there are certain themes and topics that are clumsily handled in the movie, but I do assure you the books are far more uh, nuanced. We should note, by the way, that Me Before You had, what, regardless of any debate about the movie's relative quality or its handling of themes, it did have my favorite tie-in uh, promotional material ever, which was when we went to the screening, we were all issued promotional uh, tissues to cry into. Oh, I remember uh, that. <laughs> with the film yeah just, they also gave me a copy of the book so when i read the book i was like oh okay <laughs> okay i see what this did wrong um and i will single out i'll double as well on, on, on our lady as well because that was um that was i think i saw that like three years ago at the Dublin oh yeah it's film been Festival super delayed <laughs> because obviously like the world is how the world is at the moment but i remember quite liking it when i saw it back then uh, but andrew what about yourself what do you recommend for listeners what are you enjoying at the moment um, I'd recommend Inside Out that, I, that we kind of spoke about earlier. Um, it's beautiful and profound and funny and sad. And um, the uh, voice performances are terrific. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's, it, 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 it really kind of stuck with me. And it, it's, it's also kind of therapeutic too. Um, so that, yeah, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll recommend that. Um, then uh, it's kind of big for me. And watch Robocop, because I have to mention Robocop at least <laughs> we, once. Obligatory Robocop <laughs> reference. Um, I did like that we got food waste. We didn't get inappropriate smoking, but this is a children's film, to be fair. Yeah. They did, uh, were they smoking when playing poker? Probably not. No, the, do- the dogs weren't. I feel like you couldn't have got away with that, uh, yeah. unfortunately. Um, I guess, you know, at certain stage, like smoking Carl's house was... bad for dogs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess at certain points you know like when months did try to light it on fire carl's house was inappropriately smoking 
So I guess that counts, maybe. Um, in terms of recommendations, uh, for, <laughs> I, I know well, it's, all I, it's the only bit that I have. Uh, but uh, so what I what I would recommend uh, in terms of recommendations for myself, um, I think I recommended before, but it is on Disney Plus. Uh, only Murders in the Building uh, is a show that I'm really enjoying with Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez, uh, which is a good like it's one. It reminds me of an old fashioned sitcom. Um, in terms of, of other recommendations, in terms of Pixar stuff, Luca came out earlier this year and I actually really, really liked it. I don't think it's like prime gold tier Pixar. It's not like in my favorite list of Pixar movies ever, but it's such an incredibly sweet coming of age kind of hangout movie. And it didn't cry. It didn't make me cry, but that's because I have a medical condition, which is great. I can now use that as an excuse, but it got me quite close uh, at the end. And that is streaming on Disney Plus and you can watch for free with no additional charge. So I would wholeheartedly recommend that. All right, then. So where can you find you online? Watch up to Brian. Um, the uh, second, the two seasons of The Revisit, they're on, well, I suppose, wherever you get podcasts. And um, and I'm on Twitter. It's uh, Brian M. Lloyd. That's B-R-I-A-N-M-L-L-O-I-D. And um, yeah, and that's it. And uh, thanks, obviously, for uh, having me on. I really enjoyed it. And I'm really sorry that I had to run out as well. Um, but Akira was great to see it in the cinema. 4K restoration, it looks great. So, um, yeah, cool. Thanks. D, well, where can we find you? What are you at, D? Um, I suppose Twitter is the best place. So that's at Deirdre Malumby. So D-E-I or D-R-E-M-O-L-U-M-B-Y. And I write um, news and reviews, of course, for entertainment.ie. So you will find me on that site too. Perfect. Um, you can follow the podcast at the two fifty. We're on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, where good podcasts are not sold but are available to listen for free. Uh, we'll be back next week when we'll be picking up our regular schedule. We did promise last week that we'd be covering Platoon, just myself and Andrew. We pushed out a week, so we're adding one guest for every week that we're delaying. The wonderful Joe Griffin will be joining us for that discussion. We're really looking forward to it. Andrew looks like he really needs to go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> so. I'm going to take a cut there. Thank you so much for joining us, D. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you to Brian, even though he is not here. And apologies for the screw up on my end there. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, thanks D. You really enjoyed really enjoy-